Business IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today we would like to talk about a concept that comes from a little bit of the inner game of tennis, but also maybe some of the later writings of Timothy Galway. Um, and it's something that we call the performance equation. And we want to introduce this equation to everybody um, as a means of really looking at your own games, your own performances, and figuring out uh, ways to minimize some of the things that may be detracting from your game. Uh, so the performance equation is essentially this. Um, actual performance equals your potential for performance minus interference. And very often that interference is what we would call cognitive interference. It's probably how we're mentally processing or emotionally processing things that are going around, uh, going on around us. And so it really ends up being more of a cognitive exercise. Although I think that there can be some uh, maybe energy level type of things that could also be interfering. They may have cognitive um, effects as well. Um, this is a fairly common equation, I think, that's used in sports psychology. But I, um, I first started to read about it more from um, test-taking. So some research done on test-taking in the 50s, 60s, and 70s was looking at why certain people maybe knew the material but struggled to perform on the actual test. And so a lot of the research comes from that, and, and, and the same with the equation. Galway used it in one of his books, I believe, on the inner game of business, and he put it into this, this format, which I really like. I like presenting this to, to players as an equation because it gets them to think about their performance in a different way. Uh, because I think as players, we're often thinking about, well, we should be playing to our potential, and maybe there's some judgment around that. Uh, but when you put it like this, it really highlights, hey, it's not just me playing to my potential. There might be some things that are getting in the way. Um, and we can get a little bit more into the inner game of tennis as, as we go through this. So, Josh, when you think of this equation, you know, or what do you think of this equation? What, what, what are some things that come to mind for you? Yeah, um, we've, we've certainly referenced the book, The Inner Game of Tennis, I think a, a good bit on, on previous episodes of the show. And for good reason. It's, it's a book that, um, both from my experience and in, with athletes that I've worked with, it can, can certainly help you get out of your own head in certain ways, where a lot of people are stuck judging themselves, critiquing themselves, constantly evaluating their own performance as, as they're playing whether that's in a competitive setting or in training. And this book can really help people to get out of your own head. So I, I, that's where I would start in terms of you know this, this book being a great tool, a great resource for athletes, certainly. Um, but in, in terms of this equation, um, I, if we focus on the two pieces that build up actual performance, the potential side, and the interference side, right? So the potential side, and we, we had an, an entire episode that we devoted to this topic of potential. Um, you know, what, what does it mean to have potential? How can expectations that somebody has a lot of potential or somebody's really talented, how can that impact your development um, and, you know, potentially lead to frustration or anxiety? Um, so that would be the first piece, right? Trying to build up your potential, thinking about, you know, how how you're structuring your development, whether it be a junior player or an adult player, um, thinking about if your lifestyle coincides with the type of player that, that you wish to become. So really focusing on that first part, but then thinking about the um, different types of interference, which is, I think, really where we'll be focused um, on in this episode, um, talking about different types of interference and different things that can come up, whether they be distractions, whether they be expectations, whether they be judgments that, that an individual makes on themselves or either even that other people are, are, are making um, and how those, um, how those different pieces of interference can actually impact your capability as an athlete. Um, but no, I, I really like this equation because I think it makes it clear that that interference is ultimately taking away from 
your capability, what, 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 what the, the, the level that you can reach. So your potential being, you know, the, if everything in a perfect world, how, you know, where, where, where would you get with your game? Does that mean making it to the ATP or WTA tour? Does that mean being a college scholarship athlete? Does that mean, you know, playing in the first singles position on your USTA league team? What does that mean? And then thinking about those things that can get in the way of that um, and think, trying to figure out, okay, how can we lessen or eliminate some of these things to bring us closer to our potential and ultimately increase that, that actual performance level? I think you highlight something that is true of the equation, that it's, it's true, say, of your career, right? The potential that you could reach but the formula can also be applied to a specific performance in a match, which is how I've probably used it more in that regard, where a player may say something was wrong and we will go through the equation and, and come up with, okay, what were the things that got in your way today from you hopefully making actual equal potential, right? That's rarely going to happen. Um, but I, I, I found it to be a really good exercise when we want to examine what went wrong today, or, you know, maybe, maybe not so much what went wrong, but you know, what, what interfered with you reaching your potential? Cause I think players are often, I don't want to say fixated, but there are often expectations that I should always be playing to my, my potential level. I don't know that that's necessarily realistic, but um, still it's interesting to look at your performances with this equation. And another way to look at it too, Josh, I think is let's look at that equation or those sources of interference, say in a practice match versus a tournament or league or some other match, right? Um, Because we know that under more pressure, there's going to be more cognitive interference, more potential for cognitive interference to um, get in the way of what you're trying to do, right? So I think even that's a good exercise is, okay, let's look at your last practice match. Were there any sources of interference? What were they? They're probably minor, probably small, right? And then we compare that to the actual match. And just even that comparison can be quite fascinating for a player to see what is the difference. Because we all know when we, we're talking about, say, pressure training, that practice matches have a little bit less pressure than real matches, and um, but they have a little bit more pressure than, say, just a practice. And it's a good way to highlight, okay, here's what you're feeling in a pressure situation. Um, now, what can we do about that? And when we're um, putting players in, uh, you know, pressure situations or doing pressure training, um, wh- what we're doing is we're adding interference. We're adding those distractions. We're adding, um, you know, maybe it's maybe we're adding in the conditioning piece where players are, um, you know, running beforehand or doing, you know, some sort of push-ups or whatever it may be before a performance, and then and then playing. So adding in that additional interference there or adding in the interference of um, changing up the score on players um, or adding new rules to a match. Um, but by, by adding that interference into a practice match, you're simulating what a player is actually inevitably going to go through during a match where there is more interference, where there are there is more pressure, there are more expectations there's more consequences ultimately for, for winning and losing. Um, and it's tough to really simulate that, but coaches and sports psychology professionals can look to strategically add things, add pieces of interference to make that performance more difficult. Yeah. And therefore it normalizes it for the player so that when it comes up in a match, it is less of an interference source. It's less, it's, it's more like, well, I expected that, or I've, I've done this a bunch of times. Um, not a big deal. I know how to handle that. And yeah, there's a lot of good research on, on pressure training and how athletes who go through that perform better um, under you know, real-world match conditions than those who, who don't. 
do that, right? So let's um, maybe just for now, let's take this as we're looking at a particular performance and we're looking for sources of interference on uh, one particular day. And you mentioned the word distractions, which I think is probably the biggest thing, right? We get focused on something and, and something that's not helpful um, and then distracts us from our full focus. There are a couple of different theories that explain, and they're not working against each other. I think they actually work with each other, but I want to bring them up because they they will help us understand two categories of distractions. One being just you losing your attention. So attentional control is one one theory that explains what can be happening as a source of interference. And so that could be just like things that you look at. Um, and then the other category is has more to do with the term we've been using, more cognitive interference, but of what we would call an evaluative nature, right? Where you're evaluating yourself. It is more ego-centric. And there are different um, things that could happen around that. So perhaps we could just start off with just the straight-up distractions, not necessarily tied to ego, um, and I've got a couple here that I thought were interesting. I actually was meeting with a student, I want to say, well, it was just a few days ago. And she said she was playing really well. And she looked up in the window and saw her dad. And there was something on her dad's shoulder. She didn't explain what it was, but there was like something on his shoulder. And she became fixated on this and for some reason very upset about this. And, and then she couldn't play anymore. So I thought this was like a perfect example of you looked at something and you, your attention went away and look what it did to, to the performance. Yeah, no, I think that that happens a lot with athletes and it's sometimes it's more severe and, you know, I, I hear all the time, somebody will say, you know, the second set of that match, I sort of lost my focus for a few games there and, you know, struggled to get it back. Um, so I, it can, it can be momentary. It can be longer. It can, you know, be for a longer period of time. Um, to, to me, what's, what's important is thinking about some of these distractions, but also having that ability to catch yourself, to notice when it's happened yeah. and then, and then bring it back. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's a lot of distractions out there. I mean, you mentioned you know things that that you see, right? It might be it might be a parent, it might be a coach, it might be um, in a team setting, it might be the members of the opposing team. Um, it, it could be everything, you know, something having to do with the court. Maybe the court has a crack in it. Maybe you're playing on clay or grass and the, you know, you're not happy with the court condition. That's something that you keep looking at. And rather than thinking about your game and your strategy, game plan, your mentality, you're focused on that crack in the court or how you're, you know, the court is not playing to your liking, uh, which is, you know, something ultimately out of your control. Um, some other things that, that are distractions, um, the score score is definitely a big one. Um, we talk about how players can play very differently, based on what's going on in the match, whether it's they're trying to serve for a match or whether um, it's the, the you know the first few games um, or up a break, down a break. Um, so that can make a big difference. Also, the things that you hear around the court, maybe it's a team match and you hear you know a player getting upset or getting pumped up on the court next to you and you wonder what's going on. That can certainly distract you from what you're doing, trying to do on court. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think certainly seeing and hearing is is a big thing. Um, yeah, I've had some students talk about the sort of rowdy fans as being problematic, or you know, even that can happen in a tournament. I mean, maybe one parent's behavior is they're very loud, cheering for their their player, right? Um, yeah, and the score, the score, I think, could be. There could be an ego component to the score at times too, right? But the score certainly affects uh, how people play, and this is that's one of those ones, Josh, where um, 
I feel like there's that contradictory sort of edge that we're always walking in sports psychology. Like, yeah, we want you to play every point the same, but then some points we know are bigger. Um, maybe on this point you play more patient or maybe on this point you go for it. Um, so it's, you know, the score will be there, but it's like, how do you process the score in such a way that it's not a distraction, right? That it's more about, um, what you need to do and embracing whatever the score, the score is. Um, I think there also can be, I don't know if this is ego or, or not, but, um, especially as you get older, pain, injuries can be a distraction for sure. Um, maybe there are just outside thoughts, whatever else is going on in your life, whether that's school or work, things you have to do later. Sometimes that can find its way onto the court and and distract from your full focus. Um, it might even just be something like poor preparation, knowing that you didn't, you know, prepare as well. And that could involve a, a number of different things. Maybe you didn't sleep well. Maybe you didn't time your eating as well. I hear that a lot from high school students who have to go straight from the end of school off to a match, and there just doesn't seem to be enough time to, to fuel up for that, or you know they need a better plan for that. Um, so yeah, it could be around preparation, etc. And it's in, you know I think what we're really getting to is everything we're talking about is about focus. It is about your ability to, to fully focus. And, and one of the reasons that we put all this out there, and you alluded to it earlier, is if we understand what all these distractions or sources of interference are, then we can put in to place a plan to help us deal with those better. Um, because as, again, as you noted, Josh, the trick is noticing and then coming back. Uh, the problem is, maybe we don't notice quickly enough when this happens, right? Um, Let's talk about some of the ego-oriented ones because I think these are probably the more problematic ones. They can be the ones that stick a little bit longer with the player because it's, it's about them. What are some things maybe that you've heard from some of your clients in terms of ego concerns that maybe they have during a match? I mean, I, it, it's, I, I find it's often about you know, the opponent, right? Oh, this is somebody I've beaten before. This is somebody I should be beating. This is somebody, you know, so much, so much weaker than me, things like that, or ranking and ratings. Yeah. So I think it's one or the other, either, either, either a specific opponent, maybe it's a rival, maybe it's a friend, or somebody that, you know, somebody that they've beaten before or feel like they should be beating, or it's, you know, the, the ego getting involved with, their view of what their ranking should be or what their rating should be. Maybe they have a goal, right? I mean, there are certainly legitimate reasons. Maybe it's a high school player who has aspirations for college tennis and they have a certain UTR goal that they're trying to reach. And they know that by, you know, not, you know, losing a certain match is going to hurt their UTR. Um, So I think UTR and and USTA rankings, other sorts of rankings can can certainly um, be a distraction as well. Um, while you're playing that that ultimately brings you further away from your full potential and and that you know your full capability yeah i think another ego concern is being concerned with what other people think about you um you know and that could be let's say you are that junior player who's trying to um, play college tennis then you're thinking a lot about what does that coach think uh, and, and and may even come up with all these different scenarios of what they'll think if you lose this match. Um, it could be you're on a team and what will your teammates think about you? Or what does your current coach or captain think about you while you're performing? So people are watching and you can be, you know, just concerned, overly concerned with, with that. And that could be a parent. It could be a friend. It could be whatever. So I, I feel like that's a, a big one, um, really being concerned with what other people think. Um, and a term that you mentioned earlier, 
um, maybe before we begin recording, a big piece of this interference stuff is just judgment, you know, or labeling things uh, with values of good, bad, terrible, awesome, when in reality, those labels are not um, particularly helpful or productive when considering sort of the long-term nature of trying to win a tennis match. Um, give us some perspective, uh, you know, your, your perspective on, on judgment and how it fits into this. Yeah. Um, when, when a player misses a shot, it's very easy to make the leap from, I missed my backhand to, I can't hit a backhand. My backhand stinks. My backhand sucks. I, I am now a bad, I'm a bad player. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you hear it. This is self-talk certainly, but it's also the type of thing that people will often say to themselves. And I mean, I grew up, you know, playing junior tournaments, playing high school, college tennis, and you hear it a lot. And I, I, I know you hear it in adult tennis as well. It just sounds a little bit different. Um, and you know, the, it's very easy to, after each point to be judging yourself and to, change your self-perception based on the feedback that you get each point. We know that tennis is a sport where you're after each point, you've either won it or you've lost it and you get that instant feedback. So you can go, you know, playing as, as if, you know, you're a winner after winning a point, a loser after losing each point and let, and ride that emotional roller coaster or be able to have the perspective that, Hey, they're, and any sort of a match, there are those ups and downs. I will be winning points. I will be losing points. And we've talked before on this show how even the best in the world are only winning slightly more than 50% of their points. So the ability to lose points and to miss shots and to bounce back is, is critical for your success. Um, but as it relates to judgment, the, you know, being able to non-judgmentally see things objectively and see things as they are. So you miss that shot. Do you miss that shot because you have a horrible backhand or did you actually miss that shot because you didn't set up early enough or because you were too close to the ball or didn't move your feet enough, right? So being able to actually identify what went wrong and maybe make that correction or tell yourself what that correction is, even stopping for a second and visualizing the correct way to, to, do the, to hit the backhand, the correct technical um, motion. Um, can make it feel a lot different. So instead of I missed that backhand because my backhand is horrible, no, I missed that backhand because I was too close to the ball. Um, I'm going to visualize the way that I want to be moving my feet to get myself in position so that that ball is more in my strike zone and I am not going to be too close on the next time around. And that way of thinking about things helps you to understand that, you know, Misses are a normal part of any tennis player's experience. And, you know, you miss the shot for a reason or that the result was for a reason, not because of who you are or not, you know, it's not a shot to you. It's not a, it's not something that ultimately impacts you as a, or, you know, reflects on you as a tennis player. You just miss that shot for a specific reason. So being able to identify that reason goes a long way for being able to view a situation objectively rather than bringing your own judgment in. Yeah. And that having that judgment lead to, you know, catastrophizing, like you said, going from, I missed a backhand to I'm a terrible player and all those steps in between. And as you were talking, it was reminding me of, um, Bill Tim's corrective methodology, right? So he, he teaches players to diagnose all of their errors he teaches them that in practice so that when it happens in a match, they feel a little bit more comfortable about what the adjustments are. Um, and they don't have to wonder what needs to be corrected. They've been practicing correcting their own mistakes in practice enough that it, it, it's easier. So that, I think, actually takes some, some pressure off the player, reduces some, some interference there. If we bring this back even a little bit more to the inner game of tennis, what we're talking about, these, these sources of interference, they're really coming from self-one. 
So right there's self one and self two. Self one is really more the conscious thinking mind. It does a lot of talking. Self two is the subconscious mind. It's the part of us that knows how to play tennis. And at a very basic level, the whole idea is to take is to quiet self one down. To not let it be so judgmental, not let it get distracted by all these other little things going on, so that it can actually trust self to, to to simply play. And I think that's why this is a great exercise for everyone who's listening to look at some of your performances, come up with what those interference sources are. Those are those are those are coming from self one. There's a lot of stuff going on in your conscious mind that's blocking. Self two's ability to play, and when you then see what those sources are, then you can come up with either specific techniques to get through them, or maybe different perspectives that will help you change your mind and move on. You're, I like what you're saying about judgment and the idea of being objective. Um, you know, if you hit a ball in the net, yeah, the natural tendency is to call that bad, but. Like if we take your perspective, Josh, we could just look at that as simply a neutral data point. Not good. It's not bad. Um, it's just a neutral piece of data that then I need to diagnose why. All right. I hit the ball in the net. I probably need to aim higher. There's my correction. On the next shot, I aim the ball a little bit higher. I have more intention of what I want to do with the ball. So... That type of thinking can go into this exercise when you put down your sources of interference um, and understand, okay, what's the correction to that? What's the correction to that? Um, because that, that's the biggest goal is how can we minimize each one of these so that the next time that we go out there or the time after that, we have fewer things that are interfering with our body's natural ability to know how to play the game. Um, you know, I think then from that, it comes down to coming up with how do you want to really approach each point? Like ideally, like what would a, what would a performance look like without any sources of interference? Um, so, I mean, I have some thoughts on that, but, you know, what, what do you think about that? What's, a, what's a, a, an approach that you would have a player take? Maybe that they could use all the time, so they have less of a less of this interference going on. So one thing that I th- I find to be helpful is to um, really look back at your your previous performances, some of your best previous performances. Um, maybe it's moments where you feel like you outperformed, feel like you beat a stronger player. Maybe you were in a flow state mm-hmm. from, from part of a match, um, and really think about what what was going on in those moments? Um, were you, you know, what sort of self-talk did you have? What did your body language look like? What was your strategy, perhaps? Thinking about these different pieces. And I mean, when I think about my own, some of my own best performances, um, there, there are moments that, you know, where I did find flow, at least for, for part of the time. Uh, you know, I wasn't being critical. I had a clear intention going into each point. I knew what I wanted to do, and I confidently went about doing it, knowing that I would miss, knowing that I would lose points along the way. But that's all part of being a tennis player. Yeah. But I, I think it all starts with trying to identify some of those characteristics from your best performances, and then thinking about what you can do to replicate them or to at least make make it more likely for that to continue happening. I think then you could even compare and contrast that best performance with maybe the one that you're thinking about that wasn't so good. Uh, Because you may actually find in that comparison that there was something that went off, wasn't working in that bad performance, but it reminds you that in the good one, oh yeah, that actually was important. And you probably come up with an even better formula to then work toward Right, so I, I like that. I, I think it is good to study what works. You know what has worked for you. Um, we know that as players and as coaches, we're often focused on what went wrong, what needs you know what needs improvement, and so forth. And we don't give enough attention to what has worked um, and how can we 
repeat that or replicate that more often. And I think sometimes we do that because we just assume it's supposed to work. But that's, I, I think that's a poor assumption. We should really study our best performances in that way. So I like that. Um, and, and, I, and I think comparing and contrasting the two performances is, is good as well. I think, you know, getting back to something we've talked about a few times here is if you're really going to bring your full focus to a match, you got to have a solid routine between points. Um, that's your moment to catch a lot of these things. So, um, and, and we have an episode on, on the between points routine, you know, but at a, at a high level, it's about recovering, resetting, refocusing, and having specific things you're doing, specific things you're saying in that time frame to help you get fully focused, um, on that next point. Yeah. The more that you can plan all of that out ahead of time, you're, you're not leaving things up to chance. So I think that's, that's really important. Um, another thing I would add as a distraction is the past, whatever's happened in the past, right? So that might be um, and it's a call that an official makes or your opponent makes that you disagree with. You might think they're cheating. And I, I have heard from athletes, you know, in the past, oh, they made this call in the beginning of the second set, and then I lost the set 6-1. And it's like, okay, did you lose the set 6-1 because of that one call? Did, did that one call impact the result? Sure, in a, in a certain way, as much as one call and one point can, but thinking about how you react to that one call, thinking about how you reacted to that situation and the impact that that reaction ultimately made. Um, so I, I think the, the past... And whatever's happened in the past um, can, can certainly be a distraction. And same with the future. I mean, we talked about rankings and ratings and, you know, ego in terms of beating a certain player. Um, so anytime your, your, your thoughts are really, um, you know, on something from the past or on something from the future, you're distracted. You're not in the present moment. You're not doing whatever's important in that moment to win. You're right. We've talked about, this acronym WIN, what's important now. Um, and, and what thinking that way can, can do is it can really help athletes gain control of the present moment and understand what needs to be done now to actually make an impact, um, focusing on something controllable that actually gets you closer to your goals. Um, where focusing on the past or on the future doesn't, it, it, you're distracted thinking about those things and it's, the faster you can catch yourself and notice that distraction has taken place, the faster you can come back to the moment and actually do something that you, that can impact the result. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I like that acronym. And, you know, we talked about that with Jorge Capistani um, because it, 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 you know, the knowing what's important now is really such a key feature of being a, a, a good competitor in the sport of tennis because you, the, you get distracted about what is important. Too often we think the past is important. Um, I know that was a you know big issue for me as a younger player. As I, you know, I wouldn't have said that. Oh, I think the past is more important. But my behavior and the direction of my thoughts um, certainly demonstrated that I some for some reason valued perfection or not making mistakes over um, the present moment and, and maybe at times over doing what's important in the moment, right, to, to, in order to win the match. So I think that's a, a really good, good point on that. Um, when we're looking at this from a self one, self two perspective as well, like we said earlier, the less that self one is doing the better. So I think we want whatever we're going to have people focus on, we want to make it basic or maybe not basic, but simple. Just a few different things, a few elemental things. Um, and, and what I think about, like if I think about the, sort of the basics of mental toughness in tennis, it's focusing on your breathing, 
focusing on your, your body language or the type of presence that you're bringing to the court, um, making sure your cell talk if, is productive. And then one of the easiest things to, to bring your focus to is simply watching or tracking the ball. Uh, so these, it, like, if we're not playing well, go back to these basics. If other things are getting in the way, is, is remind yourself, okay, let me just focus on these three or four things. You could even add, I suppose, energy level, effort level. Increase your effort, right? Um, and then I think it's important that each player has some basic process goals or, or maybe process plays they want to run in a match. Um, and that could be something simple like, you know, uh, one of the guys I work with, he he talks about attacking his contact point. So it may not always be a technical thing, but for him, that's important, right? And it helps him understand a couple of things. Number one, that he has a contact point, right? That he wants to, so it's not just about watching the ball because you could watch the ball and watch it go by you. Um, but you want to make sure you you watch the ball and have a contact point, right? So this guy talks about, about that. I like the attack piece because it's about maybe him being loose, and so when he's going, you know, so he's really going after the ball. He's not tentative on that. So it's just that one uh, process play. There's a lot of info in there. And so by focusing on the basic behaviors that are very controllable, your standards, and then having two to three process-oriented plays, and you just kind of follow that script – and then your routine, and then you, you follow that script during the during the point, and just keep repeating this. You're probably going to be doing a pretty good job of minimizing all these sources of interference that we talked about today. Absolutely. I mean, really having a clear plan for the point, what takes place after the point, and then what takes place leading up to the next point right. um, can can do wonders for a player. You know, I think the vast majority of people out there are leaving a lot of things up to chance, not planning out their responses, not planning out, you know, how, what happens if I double fault here? How can I emotionally reset so that I can go into the next point with uh, the sort of a mindset that's going to be effective for me to actually, you know, perform well in, in the next point. Um, so the more, as you were saying, you know, the more that these sorts of things can be planned out um, ahead of time. And, you know, you you have a clear plan for how you want to play. You have a clear plan for how you want to react and act in your body language. Um, and I, I just, just going back to one other thing that you said um, about the most important thing to focus on during a point being the ball, which I couldn't agree more. I mean, I found, you know, when I was coaching tennis, um, players of all level, I would say specifically more beginner players, but also players of all levels. Um, a specific drill, the bounce hit, which I know we've talked about with Sean Brawley, who of course, you know, Sean worked um, very closely with Tim Galloway for many years. Um, but when I worked for Sean for a summer, I think it was 2016, um, 20, yeah, 20, um, 20, sorry, 2015, um, he, he uses this drill, the bounce hit drill, which, you know, starts as simply as a player saying bounces, the ball bounces and hit as they hit it and can get more advanced from there. He used it with all different levels of players to, to great success. And I've, I've also found, you know, working with players on court that, that that's so extremely helpful for a few different reasons. Number one, it, it fixes your attention point on the most important thing, the ball, but it also does wonders for clearing your mind. So rather than focusing on every technical detail, okay, I have to get my elbow back. My wrist has to be in a certain position. I have to do this with my footwork. I have to, you know, do this with my follow through and thinking about every single technical detail that you've ever heard on the forehand, you're just saying bounce, hit, bounce, hit. And I've seen it change somebody who, you know, will miss, you know, would, would miss a high percentage of their shots, you know, would not play with a lot of consistency. And all of a sudden we're having 10, 15 ball rallies because rather than thinking about all these other things that, that they generally think about with their forehand, they're just simply watching the ball, which as we know is, couldn't be more important. And 
they've cleared their mind of everything else, of all these other distractions, of all the other interference. So I think that one drill is something that, you know, perhaps players have tried and don't, don't think of it as too basic. I, I often would introduce it as, Hey, this is, this is a drill that, that feels really basic. It feels really elementary, but it can, it can do wonders. And it, it really, you know, I would encourage our listeners, if you haven't tried this before, try it sometime. And, and there, you know, there's certainly progressions that can be made. You can start with mini tennis. You can start with a fed ball and then go to a rally ball and then do it in a point. It often helps to start saying it out loud. And then you can, you know, say it in your head from there. But that one specific drill, which Tim Galloway came up with, and there's actually a great video on YouTube. I believe Tim Galloway was on 60 Minutes um, back in the 70s, shortly after his book, this book had come out and was, um, you know, receiving a lot of, um, a lot of, positive positive accolades in the media um and it was on 60 minutes and he taught a woman who had never played before um i think within about 10 minutes and they were rallying within about 10 minutes it sounds too good to be true but i can uh, we can find that link and put it in the show notes because it's it really is impressive um and it shows that just by focusing on you know one or two big things like watching the ball um probably being the biggest one that you can really make a lot of progress and really limit those distractions or limit that interference that so often gets in a player's way and, and holds them back. Yeah. And, you know, on between points, the simple thing can be the breathing, right? So watching the ball and breathing. Um, and this is an adjustment that you can make in a match. You may notice that your mind is a little bit noisy and a great way to quiet that down is, is to go to bounce hit or watching the ball for me. I like to watch the spin of the ball. That's my thing. That tends to work better for me. And I even I, in the inner game of tennis, I believe that Galway mentions that as an alternative to bounce hit. Um, not everybody. For me, like when I do bounce hit, Josh, I just sort of get in a cadence with the words. And I'm not really associating them so well with the actual timing. And so... Uh, for whatever reason, I, I do better with seeing the spin of the ball. But I was playing a match a few weeks ago. Uh, I was down 6-2-3-0. And yeah, I had some definitely had some noise going on. I was, you know, have a injury in my leg, it's hurting, I can't move as well, so I'm making more errors because of that. And I was just at this point, I'm like, all right, it's almost the end of the court time. I've never lost a match this early in the court time. So I'm like, all right, you just need to last at least 20 minutes longer. Just just watch the ball. I end up winning the set 7-5. Just by narrowing everything down to one thing, I'm just going to watch the ball, attack the contact point, um, and, it, and it changed everything, right? So I won seven of the next nine games just by narrowing my focus back down to something very simple and elemental. Um, so if you can catch yourself and that's, that's, you know, one of the keys and you, you mentioned it earlier, the idea of identifying that something's interfering with you, let me address it with a simple, basic focus, whether it's breathing, watching the ball or your simple process plays, uh, it could really get you turned around in a match as well. Not only as a correction for another match, but maybe you fix the problem in the middle of a match. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to make adjustments and notice, be aware enough, being aware enough to notice what's going on and what the issue is makes it possible to make that change and to turn a match like that around. Um, you know, I, I often find that, that players, you know, will, will stick to their, their a game and stick to a certain game plan whether it's working or not, without being willing to make an adjustment, um, whether that be a strategy adjustment or something, you know, noticing that their attention's not on where it should be, right? If you're if you have a lot of chatter going on in, in your head, um, that that's going to take away from focusing on the most critical points, whether that be the ball or whether that be your your game plan. So, being noticing that that something is happening, and, and another great book. Um, that I know we've talked about is Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert. And he talks a lot about being able to realize during a match who's doing what to whom. 
being aware enough to notice, you know, the dynamics of the match in that kind of a way. And once you realize that, then you can make that change. Um, It's it just, you have to get to that point of noticing what's happening first and then being able to think of, okay, how can I, how, how can I make a change here? And you know, what, what is the, that main thing that needs to be changed? Yeah. And so when we're perhaps sitting on a changeover and things are maybe a little bit out of control, the dialogue can be more about, okay, what is getting in my way here? Um, and how do I minimize that? How do I come back to something simple that I can execute? And, and stick with that simple thing so I can, I can play better. There might be times where, yeah, it's, it's about uh, adjusting the game plan, but it could be just that you're losing only because you're so distracted by other things, that there's so much interference. And it, it might not be that you have to go away from your A game, but rather you need to deal with all the interfering thoughts first then see where your A game is and how that matches up. You know, I know, I know we've talked about making adjustments and we've had some conversation about, you know, when do you actually start to make some adjustments? You know, and I think I've been of the mindset of a lot of times you're not even playing your A game and you're, you're thinking about going to A. And you're, you're not losing because the guy's handling your A game. You're losing because you haven't even found your A game. You're your own sort of your own worst enemy at that point. So I think this is some really good thinking to go on, especially on a changeover when you have that little extra time. What might be getting in my way? What are some things I could come back to? I think scripting some of that out is helpful. What are my what are my basic things I want to come to? Well, I just want to come back to watching the ball. Or I'm just going to come back to hitting high and heavy. That's kind of my easy, simple pattern that I like playing. Whatever it is, have a couple three things that are nice and simple for you that can be uh, a means of addressing a lot of this cognitive chatter that's interfering with, with you reaching your potential. Yeah. Yeah. Planning that out um, and planning out maybe some of those main plays, right? So maybe it's, you know, high and heavy. Uh, maybe it's a certain serve and serve plus one pattern that you're, that you know you find to be effective or return return plus one um, but the more that that can be planned out ahead of time um, then you feel that composure regardless of what's going on and you know to, to go back to what you're saying and some of those conversations from the past I think the key is not to necessarily go away from your your a game but as you said to try to find that a game um, and to make adjustments as needed not to you know, go away from your strengths, but maybe to make changes to find ways to get to your opponent's weaknesses more, or if a certain shot is bringing you too many errors, maybe it's just about, you know, finding a little bit more margin or a little bit more spin on that particular wing. Um, But being able to notice the dynamics of a match and notice why the score is the way that it is and, you know, and adjust as need be. It's always been my contention when working with players that, in general, when they're losing, it's not because of their strategy or their tactics or that they or their technique. It's interference. And the more that you learn to deal with interference, and this is why I give players a checklist of here's what to do when you feel like things aren't working. And there are a lot of these basic things that we're talking about. And, and sometimes players will react negatively to that particular checklist because, well, uh, it's got to be about strategy or I got to change tactics and like, eh, that could work. But if you're not dealing with what you're kind of putting in your own way, uh, it's likely that that other stuff won't work. Um, and, and as you said, you might be prematurely going away from, from your strengths. So this particular equation, I think, is really useful for everyone to keep in mind as they're going along, um, as they're trying to understand why am I not playing well or why am I losing? It's not always going to be because the opponent 
is handling your A game and is just dominating you. Certainly that can happen and, and, and does. But more often than not, we're putting up our own barriers to our best performances. And if we can deal with those, take those out of the way, then you can really evaluate how your A game is doing against the other guy. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Rather than jumping to, okay, I need to make big changes here, technical changes, um, strategic changes, let's simply start by noticing. Let's be aware of where that interference is coming from and then thinking about how to address it rather than taking something away from your game or maybe making too radical of changes to your game. Right, right. So just to repeat the equation again, so as we wrap this up, right, actual performance equals your potential performance minus interference. Very often it's cognitive interference, your thoughts getting in the way, whether they're just distracted by things going on around you or distracted with some different ego-oriented concerns. So great discussion, Josh. Uh, thanks for thanks for going into this topic. Um, and thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for listening. That's our show for today. Uh, for more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for the two of us, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. And you can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we will speak to you soon in our next episode.